Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Good weekend, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. It is uh, St. Patrick's Day today as I'm uh, speaking with you. I'm not going to do a fake, terrible Irish accent, but I hope you're all enjoying the weekend wearing your green. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. It is the best beef jerky you've ever had. If you haven't had it yet, it's probably the best beef jerky that you've never had either. If you happen to be in the Edmonton area, there are three places you can go to pick up your beef jerky. The original is in Leduc, the second location is in Spruce Grove, and the newest is a kiosk in West Edmonton Mall, not all that far from the Ice Palace. But if you're not in the Edmonton area and you don't want to make that drive in from uh, Winnipeg or Saskatoon or Regina or from Kelowna or Kamloops, uh, you don't have to. You can go to their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, they will ship it to you anywhere in Western Canada that's wilhockbeefjerky.com, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. Have a loaded show for you today with four guests, three of them going to be looking at the CHL's playoff uh, races as the regular season winds down. And the fourth guest will be a 2023 draft spotlight, a uh, player I wanted to get on last week in the all-goaltender show. So you know it's another goalie coming up. I'll tell you who those guests are momentarily. First, let's get to some news and notes, and uh, because we're spending all our guest segments today talking about the uh, standings in the CHL, we'll skip that part uh, in the what we usually do in the opening segment. Let's just get to uh, some news items, and in the queue, the new commissioner has been uh, formally introduced. His name is Mario Cicchini, who comes to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League via the CFL, where he was the president of the Montreal Alouettes since uh, 2020 but a big background in uh, radio, both with Chorus and Astral Media. He officially takes over the position on May 8th, but he was uh, introduced to the media out east a couple of days ago and says it's his priority to mentor the youth in our society and help them evolve and become model citizens. He also recognizes the importance of the fan base uh, for the league to survive, and says, that's why I'm making it my personal mission to continue to make all of its different markets shine. Now, way too early to start asking the uh, new commissioner his thoughts on expansion. It would be more interesting to see what he's going to do to keep uh, franchises 
in place, like Bathurst, for example, uh, where there's been lots of talk about them uh, relocating. But that a conversation for the offseason, probably. Maybe we'll uh, reach out and see if we can get the commissioner on this summer when we're looking for uh, stuff to fill in the offseason months. Another one of those stories that we'll be following is in Winnipeg, where the uh, the Winnipeg Ice, lots of rumors about how they're not going to be in Winnipeg for all that much longer. And it, this started with a piece in the Winnipeg Sun back in mid-February uh, by Paul Friesen. That story underlined the promise of, of the new ownership uh, when it took over in Cranbrook, B.C., when they were the Kootenai Ice, uh, and they were about to move it to Winnipeg, that there would be a new 4,500-seat 4, facility built uh, that hasn't started, and as far as anyone knows, there hasn't actually been a concrete plan uh, to put that in place to even get started. Uh, so lots of talk about how the WHL might take over the franchise and relocate it. The question would be where, if that's the case. Some suggestion that uh, Chilliwack, B.C., where the Chilliwack Bruins used to be, and currently where the Chilliwack Chiefs are playing. The general manager of the Chilliwack Chiefs, they play in the BCHL. His name is Brian Maloney, happens to also be the GM of the arena that they play in, uh, says that is not going to happen. Other potential locations uh, mentioned uh, would be uh, Estevan, Saskatchewan. That would keep the, the organization in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Wenatchee, Washington, also mentioned in the uh, story by Paul Friesen. Wenatchee also has a team in the BCHL. The NHL Vancouver Canucks have their farm team in Abbotsford, so I'm not sure that there'd be a fit there. It's been something that's been talked about over the last few weeks here in uh, you know off off the record conversations around the rink. You talk to other media guys and whatever. I've heard like Idaho might be a a potential fit. Which, if you go back to my idea for the PHL, the fourth CHL league, the Pacific Hockey League, and further expanding into the United States along the West Coast. Idaho is on my list of uh, destinations, so I wouldn't mind that. But first and foremost, I'd like it to stay in Winnipeg. I think the WHL is a fit for Winnipeg, but they need a rink. I don't know what the situation is there, why there's been no progress made, but clearly the Winnipeg Ice, as they are right now, are a very, very good hockey team, very strong. You can you can make the argument they're the team to beat in the Western Hockey League. I'd still go with Seattle myself, but they are all in this year. And some people are saying that's because ownership knows this is their last year. We'll see. But something to keep uh, an eye on uh, for sure if you're a f follower of the WHL. I know season tickets are already on sale for next year for the Winnipeg Ice. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they get one more year to make progress on a, on a new facility. I don't know. Those are all discussions uh, that are uh, very closely guarded secrets, put it that way. It seems to be a difficult situation just for the beat writers of the, you know, like the Winnipeg Free Press and the Winnipeg Sun to have access to the owners of the Winnipeg Ice to get answers. And that's not a good look. So we'll see where that goes for the Winnipeg Ice. But remember, they started in Edmonton as the Edmonton Ice and relocated to Cranbrook and were there for a while, for what, about 10, 12, 15 years uh, before going to Winnipeg. So wherever they go, they might need to change the name. Maybe it's the Ice name. Moving on, the uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League playoffs are underway. Uh, round one is uh, well underway, in fact. Four games deep with game fives going Friday night. Already through to the next round, Okotoks and Whitecourt as they swept their first-round opponents. Black Falls is up three games to one over Calgary. Uh, so are Drumheller with the Canmore Eagles. So both of those games go tonight and could end in five games. Meanwhile, 
Meanwhile, two series are deadlocked at two games apiece. That would see Bonneville against Lloyd Minster and the Sherwood Park Crusaders taking on the Fort Mac Oil Barons. Those two series are going at least six games. Meanwhile, Brooks and Spruce Grove, the top two teams in the league, are just waiting to see who they'll play in round two. The BCHL only plays 54 games in a regular season, and their season wraps up here at the end of March. The Penticton Vs uh, are clearly the class of the league. They have 91 points. The next closest team are the Nanaimo Clippers with 73 points, so a huge gap there. All but one team uh, left to decide who's going to get into the playoffs. It's going to be either the Langley Rivermen or the Cowichan Valley Capitals. I know we're moving quickly, but let's get to the NAHL, where there, a new team has been announced uh, for next year. and uh, Not the two new teams that I mentioned last week. Uh, this is another new club. They're expanding from 29 to 32 teams next year in the Null. The New Hampshire Mountain Kings will compete in the East Division beginning next season. It will be the first ever NAHL team to be based out of New Hampshire. The logo is uh, uh, an angry moose with a hockey stick in its uh, mouth. Looks slightly like the Manitoba Moose logo, uh, but I'm making a uh, mental note here to get uh, the commissioner and president of the Null, Mark Frankenfeld, back on the show because I'd love to talk to him about uh, the rapid expansion here for the Null, adding three new teams for next year on top of the New Hampshire Mountain Kings. As I mentioned last week, we're going to see the Colorado Grit as well as the Rochester Junior Americans. Expansion is exciting, but can you expand too much too quickly? like to chat with him about that. Oh, one other item with the BCHL. Daryl Wolski, who is an agent with the 2112 Hockey Agency, uh, he tweeted, and this is a quote, tentative plans if the BCHL leaves Hockey Canada, each team will be allowed 11 imports from Europe and the United States, plus also two new American franchises in the future. The BCHL would challenge the USHL as the top league to send players to NCAA Division One. That was news to me because I hadn't heard anything about the BCHL leaving Hockey Canada. They left the Canadian Junior Hockey League, but they're still under the umbrella of Hockey Canada. So I don't know how that would work. Problem is, I've reached out to the BCHL several times, but have never been able to get anyone from the league to come on the show to talk about just even when they left the CJHL. Uh, But I will uh, make efforts again to try to uh, get someone on to talk about this. Maybe I'll call Daryl Wolski and get him back on the show. Uh, to explain what he was talking about here. But the USHL and the BCHL going head-to-head, that would be really interesting and something I had a conversation with somebody about, uh, sort of off the record. But it's It certainly looks like that was what the BCHL had intended, is kind of separating themselves from the CJHL. They are definitely the premier junior A league in Canada that supplies players to the NCAA. I mean, the AJHL does a good job of that too, but you can't it's not really comparable to the amount of scholarships coming out of the BCHL. I'd love to see sort of some sort of partnership worked out between the USHL and the BCHL, whether they were playing each other or not, or sharing the same talent pool where you could see trades between the two. That might be a, a, a weird situation where you could potentially have a guy playing in you know Youngstown and he gets traded to Powell River. That would be pretty dramatic, but I guess you have that in the North American Hockey League. They have a a pretty big footprint. But maybe we see the uh, winner of the Clark Cup taking on the BCHL champ, something like that. I'd love it. But we'll have to ask Daryl what he was talking about and to see if there's anything else that we can dig up about that story. All right, lastly, the uh, NCAA, it's a big weekend as the conference 
champions will be decided, and then we will know the 16 teams that will qualify for the NCAA National Tournament. The NCHC Conference, we're down to four clubs. Colorado College is taking on Denver. St. Cloud State will play North Dakota. The two winners advance and meet each other. Two of those teams, Denver and St. Cloud, are already into the national tournament. But if uh, CC or North Dakota want to get there as well, they're going to have to win their conference title. In Hockey East, we've got Providence taking on Boston University, and Merrimack is uh, hosting Massachusetts Lowell. And Merrimack right on the bubble. They have a pretty good chance. The um, probability matrix at College Hockey News has Merrimack sitting at 68% chance that they are going to get into the national tournament. They're currently ranked 14th. What would prevent them from doing that? They don't necessarily have to win the Hockey East Championship, but if three teams below them get in, and we know one of them will definitely be either Holy Cross or Canisius as Atlantic Hockey champs, but if, let's say, Providence and North Dakota were to win their respective conferences, that would knock Merrimack out. Meanwhile, in the ECAC tournament, Colgate goes up against Quinnipiac, Harvard, is facing Cornell. Quinnipiac and Harvard are already good enough to get into the national tournament. On Sunday, we get the finals of the Big Ten. That sees Michigan against Minnesota. Both clubs will be in the national tournament. Northern Michigan is playing Minnesota State. Right now, Minnesota State is at 72% to be in the national tournament. Northern Michigan, though, they're ranked 27th, only 34%. They have to win to get in. But it's one win, do or die, uh, for the Wildcats of Northern Michigan. And then you've got Holy Cross and Canisius, who uh, one of them will be crowned as the uh, champion of Atlantic hockey and get that automatic bid into the national tournament. Whoever it is, they will be the 16th seed in the tournament and probably have to play Minnesota. And when I say that, I really hope it's Holy Cross because Holy Cross and Minnesota had that remarkable upset game a number of years ago, Holy Cross defeating the Golden Gophers at the national tournament, which provided uh, one of the best audio clips uh, that we've ever played here on the Pipeline Show. So fingers crossed, that's the only thing I'm hoping for this weekend for sure, is that Holy Cross wins and they get to play uh, Minnesota in the first round of the national tournament. That would be awesome. Uh, meanwhile, in college hockey, the top 10 Hobie finalists have been announced. Uh, here are your Hobie finalists. A two from the Minnesota Golden Gophers in a freshman Logan Cooley and Matthew Nyes. Quinnipiac has two players as well, goaltender Yaniv Peretz and forward Colin Graff. Peretz is also up for the Mike Richter Award as a NCAA top goaltender. And the other two goaltenders who are on that ballot are also on the Hobie list as well. Devin Levi from Northeastern and Blake Pietela or Pietela. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but he plays for Michigan Tech. The other Hobie finalists are Adam Fantilli, who leads the NCAA in scoring, and BU defenseman Lane Hudson, both of them obviously freshmen, Western Michigan senior Jason Poland, and Harvard junior Sean Farrell uh, rounds out the list. So that's it's a really good top 10 this year. It's it, You can make a pretty good argument for all of those players. You got to get it down to a Hobie hat trick, and I don't know who that's going to be. You know, part of me wants to say it's going to be, all right, Adam Fantilli and Logan Cooley, but... Are you going to have two freshmen in the top three? If it's if there's only one freshman, I'd, I'd lean toward Fantilli. He has more points. Do we see a goaltender in the top three? I guess I would lean toward Devin Levi, but you can make a pretty good argument for any of them. Matthew Nyes had a terrific season. So did Sean Farrell. 
So I'm not sure who the uh, the favorites are to be on the Hobie hat trick and uh, the eventual Hobie winner. You can let me know your pick. Find me on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. All right, that does it for the news and notes portion. Let's get to the guest list. Uh, all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. What an outstanding brewery located in Red Deer, Alberta. You can go in, sit down, have a, a few pints right at the tap room. They've got some food there as well. But as long as you're in Alberta, you can go to your local liquor store and pick up some uh, tasty craft beverages. And I say beverages because they have more than just craft beer. They've got spirits. They've got pop. In fact, I started drinking the uh, craft, the Troubled Monk Root Beer, which like all of their other soda, it's not over overpoweringly sweet, which I really appreciate. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop. See what they have available and uh, get your order in. You can order it online. You can pick up yourself from the tap room or in couple of different places in both Calgary and Edmonton details on their website uh, or just go to their uh, to your local liquor store and if they don't have it in stock ask them to bring it in for you because it is available all right here's the guest list today we're going to start in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and get the uh, stories as the playoffs get ever closer Willie Palov from uh, Saltwire a longtime beat reporter covering the Halifax Mooseheads and the Q uh, Willie is going to bring us up to speed on all those stories we need to follow which teams are the contenders? And from there, we'll go to the Ontario Hockey League, and Brock Otten from McKean's will be our guest. Also uh, does a podcast with the Hockey News uh, covering the OHL, so he's the right guy to get to talk about uh, the contenders in the OHL and some of those stories he's looking for. Also pick his brain about uh, a trio of 2023 draft-eligible players out of the OHL. Then we move over to the Western Hockey League, and Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun is my guest. Lots still to be determined, especially in the WHL's Eastern Conference, where you've got five teams fighting for the last three spots. Maybe that's down to four teams fighting for the last three spots, as Regina's got a bit of a, a lead now. be hard to imagine the Pats just uh, completely... I mean, they might have to lose out to uh, miss the playoffs at this point. But lots to go over with uh, Perry Bergson. And then we'll end this week's show with a 2023 draft spotlight. A goaltender playing in the North American Hockey League who really gained a lot of attention with his performance at the 2023 World Junior Championship in Halifax where he was outstanding for Slovakia. His name is Adam Guyan. He's playing for the Chippewa Steel. We will get to know him this week on the Pipeline Show as well. So an absolutely loaded show. We'll start in the queue with Willie Palov. That's next here on the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Still with the puck. Fires across and they score! Pierre-Luc Dubois on the one-timer. Wires it past Bo Taylor. Hey, it's Pierre-Luc Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. 
you know, I hear the camera adds 10 pounds. Looks like you've eaten five cameras. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Fleming, and we're going to continue this week's episode uh, looking, well, we're getting caught up on all three leagues in the CHL. The last couple of weeks, it's been a lot of draft uh, draft spotlights. We're focusing a lot on draft-eligible players, uh, but as the playoffs get closer across the CHL, we got to get up to speed, and we're going to do that in the queue of, of courtesy our good friend Willie Palov uh, from Saltwire and uh, the Halifax, uh, the Chronicle Herald in Halifax, and geez, who, whatever else you're doing out there, Willie. I know you're writing for Redline Report and scouting for Redline Report. Still, have been doing that for a long time, uh, but always a, a treat when you're able to make time for the Pipeline Show. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Always great talking to. You. All right, well, let's get uh, as I, you heard me mention. I got to get you. Uh, to uh, bring us up to speed on what's happening in the queue. When I look at the standings, and I don't know if this uh, is just paints the picture entirely, but looks like there's four teams, really, who have separated themselves from the pack. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, you got Quebec and Halifax. In the West, it's Gatineau and Sherbrooke. Is that basically what's come down to, in your opinion, too? Basically, yeah. I mean, there's a, the fifth team that's a bit of a sleeper team is Victoriaville. Um, they're not quite as loaded as the other four, but, um, you know, Carl Millette is a really good coach. He won the league, uh, two years ago, the COVID year. And, uh, I wouldn't have said they'd be a team that was going to go, you know, in the mix with everybody this year, but, uh, they got off to a good start and he added a few pieces. So they're there and I wouldn't bet against them as an upset team, but yeah, those four teams are the four to watch. And, if you had a four-sided coin, you could flip it and figure out who's <laughs> going to win. That's how close they are. Uh, they're they're just so uh, stacked, every one of them, uh, it, at every position. Like we're talking, really four powerhouses. So wh- whoever comes out of the league is going to be a good team this year. Well, and right now the story has to be the Gatineau Olympique. They're on an 18-game winning streak right now, which uh, that's I mean that's outstanding. Obviously, uh, how are they getting it done? You, you talked about them being a stacked team, one of four stacked teams. Who uh, who right now is leading the way for the Olympique? Well, two things, really. I mean, they had some injuries early in the year. Olivia Nadeau, who was a big off-season pickup, didn't play until around Christmas time. So he came back, and then they made two really important trades. They got uh, Riley Kidney from mm-hmm. Bathurst, and he's just been lights out. I mean, well over two points a game. Uh, is gaining ground all the time on the scoring league. I don't know that he'll catch Jordan Dumain Halifax, but uh, his points per game over the last probably six or seven weeks has been crazy. And the other big trade they made was to bring in uh, Francesco Lapena, a goalie, 20-year-old goalie, played in Charlottetown. And that really made a big difference too. So, you know, they're 18 games in a row winning. Uh, the rest of the depth was already there. Players like Tristan Luneau has been awesome. Zach Dean coming back from Team Canada and, and a bunch of other guys. So um, get back to what I said earlier about four teams being equal. The way that they're trending right now, maybe they're the, the slight edge. I know they were number one in the last uh, CHL rankings. So they're getting everybody's attention. But, yeah, they're they're a team that is certainly, you know, going in the right direction no team is perfect Uh, we've seen that over the years as well even the powerhouse teams have a weakness somewhere is there one that's uh apparent for you when you look at the olympic it'd be hard it'd be really hard i mean the guys that 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 i mentioned that they traded for have, have playoff experience um they have depth at every position i mean 
if you want to get nitpicky, I, I, I'm not sure their backup goalie is great. So if they, <laughs> I mean, if there's an injury to Lapena, they might have some problems. But I mean, really, is there any team out there with two number one goalies? Right. I mean, uh, and if you want to take that a step further, I would say the same thing about uh, those other three teams: Sherbrooke, Halifax, and uh, Quebec. Like we're talking three scoring lines, a good fourth line defensemen uh that can you know move the puck and shut down like there are no weaknesses in these teams it's it's going to be a shame that uh there's only one champion if you know what i mean okay well let's look at sherbrooke then uh since we're we're going to spend probably most of this uh, this segment talking about four different clubs uh who is it with the uh, the phoenix that is uh that are the standout players that people from outside of the, the quebec major junior hockey league uh, market uh will uh, recognize those names or should at least key in on well, straight away, anyone who watched World Juniors uh, probably got to know Tyson Hines and Joshua Waugh. Two, uh, you know, one's a forward, one's a defenseman. Uh, we'll start with Hines, uh, underrated to begin with, then showed up at uh, the Canada camp, earned his spot, and by the end of the tournament, he might have been top three in minutes on the, on the defense, if not the whole team. Just a really good all-around player. And, uh, of course, Joshua Waugh, got moved up and down the Canada lineup, produced everywhere, uh, set up the, the tournament-winning goal, Dylan Gunther, um, former first overall Quebec League pick. Like Those two drive that team. But the other player uh, is Jacob Melanson, who was a pickup out of Bathurst like Riley Kidney. Right. Um, and he's just been – I mean, I, last I checked, he's got like 25 games in a row or something with a point. He's going to get 50 goals. He's close to it already. Seattle draft pick. Um, if you haven't heard of him, he's a, just a powerful player, but he's got a great touch for, for sort of a heavy player. And, uh, of course they've got uh, the depth I've mentioned already. So other players around them that, uh, that can complement really well too. And their netminder? Well, yeah. Uh, I can't think of the kid's name. I think it's Olivia Ada, Adam, right. um, big, big kid, uh, a little bit came out of nowhere for some people. But uh, was good enough that they moved out a really good goalie last year, Zhigalov. Uh, he's, I think, playing in the OHL now. I'd have to check. But uh, NHL drafted player, good player as a rookie import last year. So they're confident in him, confident enough to do that. So, uh, again, this, this is a team, this franchise, really, that has never really had a lot of playoff success. Mm-hmm. Um, the market's been sort of low but they're to come around but they're on board now it's a big year um Jocelyn Tebow is uh kind of the run runs the show there and, and this is it like this is a chance for them to to really lock down uh their fan base and and maybe to make you know get over that hump so um they, they went all in they paid the price they got some players and they're deep and they're uh well coached so we'll see right Willie Palov is uh, my guest. He's a writer, a longtime writer, covering the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League uh, based out of Halifax. Now, the Quebec Rempart, uh, Willie, have been basically the number one team for most of the season. Whenever the CHL Top 10 would roll around, it seemed like Quebec was the 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 first team out of the queue that would be mentioned. Now, they've they've fallen on hard times here. It looks like they're playing 500 hockey over the last little bit. What's gone wrong? That's a good question. Uh, there was a game a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, a bit of a grudge game with Halifax in Quebec for the first and only time of the year. 
at 15,000 people in the arena and the Mooseheads won. So I'm not sure maybe if that rattled them at that time. Of course, the reverse is true. The Mooseheads, it just jacked their confidence sky high. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also lost to Halifax in Halifax. So, you know, sometimes when you lose to teams that uh, everyone across the league is, is watching to see who comes out, perhaps that uh, weighs on you a little bit. But um, knowing Patrick Waugh, he's not going to tolerate them being below average by playoffs. And also the, the personnel they have is, is just so stacked as well that uh, I'm pretty confident by playoffs that they'll, they'll rip through the first couple of rounds pretty easily and, and then we'll see. Um, but uh, you're right. Like compared to the other three of the, of the big four, they're the one that's uh, maybe slumping a little bit at the wrong time. But they've got so much depth too. Zachary Bull Duke and Theo Rochette, who's a veteran now in this league, and Justin Robidaux, they picked up by a trade. Nathan uh, Goche, uh, who played for Team Canada. I mean, they've got lots of depth as well. Uh, who's their netminder? Um, another kid named Russo. William Russo, uh, and I say another kid because the Moosehead's goalie is Mathis Russo. They're not related, hmm. but uh, the two two top uh, winning goalies in the league. He's a very good player. Um, he's not somebody who's probably going to play at a high level in the pros, but he's a really good winner at this level. They all are comfortable with him. Uh, I haven't ever seen him live play a bad game. You know, and, and those names you mentioned too—they're all—they're all great scorers. But every one of them is a great leader too. Like Nathan Gaucher, he'd be a captain on a lot of teams, same as Zachary Bolduc. Um, but you know, you got Theo Rochette, five-year player with the with the C there. Like these these are players that will kind of pull this this crew together. I think over the next couple of weeks, you know, we do have a few—I'd say maybe a half dozen games till till the season ends. And uh, along with Patrick Waugh, of course, is no stranger to leadership too. Right. Like, th- these are guys I, I think that will that will you know gather up the of the uh, the pieces here and pull together in time. I'm sure of it. All right. Well, that brings us to the Mooseheads, who are in your backyard, and this is a team that uh, seems to have gotten better as the season has gone on, and are really firing on all cylinders now. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And that game against Quebec, I mentioned, uh, you know, was quite a road trip. It was it was only a couple of weeks ago, and um, critics will say that the, the division they play in in the Maritimes is quite weak this year, and it is. There are a lot of easy teams this year, mainly because three out of the six went for it last year, so they're rebuilding. So statistically, they're padding you know their wins and their points and, and all those things. But they went up to Quebec and played uh, you know three really good teams: Quebec, Sherbrooke, and uh, Victoriaville, and uh, did just fine. So they came back from that feeling like they passed a big test in the sense that they can say they measure up against anybody. And uh, they had two really good games against Gatineau this year, one at home and one up there, both shootout games. Uh, felt good about that. So, yeah, they're uh, they're going along great. And uh, the thing I like about the way the coaches handle that team is, is they don't let them play uh, down to the level of their opponents. So, uh, yes, they're finishing off with, you know, probably 10 or 12 fairly easy games against division opponents, but, you know, they're pounding on them. Uh, they're, they're rising to the occasion when they're playing a team that's having a good night. So, um, preaching those habits all year, I think is going to have them ready for playoffs too. 
Well, and the addition of Alex Doucette seems to have really uh, been sort of a, a catalyst for this uh, this big jump here in the second half. Is is that me? Just am I getting that wrong, or is there something to that? Oh no, for sure. Well, Doucette and Lawrence really the, those were their two big ads of the year. And right. You go back to training camp, and uh, they only really brought in one twenty-year-old when Evan Boucher came back. Um, they actually cut a 20-year-old defenseman who would have been in his third year. And as you know, in Major Junior, um, you can find them good, above-average 20-year-olds fairly inexpensively, but you can also find elite players if you pay the price because uh, it's always a buyer's market. So they paid quite a premium to get Lawrence first out of blainville bois and he's been phenomenal. Best face-off guy in the league, uh, and then they get Doucette, a few weeks later, the first guy to 50 goals recently signed with the Red Wings. I feel like he's actually a legitimate pro prospect uh, for someone who never got a look at the draft and um, and really kind of just broke out this year. Um, but both are just terrific all-around players, awesome on the power play, one and two in the league in shorthanded goals, excellent leaders, fairly physical, even though Lawrence is not a tall player. They're both fairly heavy in the corners. And... Uh, bring some leadership of course Lawrence won the Moral Cup last year in St. John so you add those two and all you give up is draft picks and and put them with the core that you've already got Jordan Dumais he'll win the scoring championship this year and a whole bunch of other players and uh, all of a sudden you go from a team that's rising a youngish team that's rising to uh, one that's got pretty good balance so uh, yeah they're they're a team that uh, feels like they're right there with everybody else who's trying to win it. Now, Jordan Dume is leading the queue in scoring by a mile. You said he's going to win the scoring race. It's not even close. He has 122 points as we're speaking right now, and the next closest is his teammate Doucette with 101 points. Is he still not getting the the national recognition that you think he deserves? I mean, he didn't make Team Canada at the World Juniors, even though the tournament was in Halifax. It just it seemed like it was set up so well uh, for him to make that club and and be a factor, but he doesn't. And I don't know that I'm sure that's motivation for him. But is this, uh, in your opinion, you've seen so many players that come through this league. You're a scout yourself for Redline Report. Is, is he just a really, really good junior hockey player, or do you see a, a, an NHLer when you watch him? Well, he's five foot nine, and he's not a big five foot nine. So I get why he was only drafted in third round, and why uh, maybe he's not the player that leaps out at you. But you got to watch subtleties with this kid's game, like he has this knack for getting loose pucks or getting his stick in the right position uh, where I'm telling you like 50, 50 battles with him are more like 80, 20. And it's obviously not because he's pushing guys over. Uh, And then in these really small spaces, he controls it or he's got crazy vision to thread a pass through like two or three bodies. Um, And then in addition to that, he's got this amazing release. Like he, he kind of cradles the puck on the heel of his stick and uh, just flicks it. And it's got a lot of velocity Mm. and he's super accurate. Um, But above all that, he's just tremendously smart. I mean, his power play work is crazy good. Um, Every line mate that plays with him, their production goes up and, you know, he finished third in the Quebec league of scoring last year as a 17 year old. So this is not like he's just breaking out. He was already one of the best scorers in the league. And, uh, he'll finish 130, 140 points. So you can't get that many points by accident or being 
not very good or just a good junior player. And this notion that uh, these little, uh, you know, French Canadian guys uh, are just playing against other small uh, kids from Quebec. I mean, that, that not been the way in this league for 25, 30 years. I mean, um, the league is heavier than it used to be. So yeah, uh, Columbus liked him enough to sign him. Uh, a few months after uh, picking him in the third round, I'm pretty sure they're excited about him. And with the way the modern game is now, with, with uh, him on the power play or or uh, in the absence of these, these massive uh, defensemen and wingers we used to see, I think there is a place for him in the game. And uh, I certainly hope that he gets a legitimate look next year with Team Canada, not just to make the team, but maybe run the power play or, or play in a scoring role because yeah he's uh he's that good i think anyway i also have to ask you about zachary larue who's back playing now now his season started so late uh, due to injury uh, and then he played three months and then got himself in trouble again uh this kid gets suspended so often i i tweeted it at the time i like him as a player he can play on my team any day but he's at times he seems to be his own worst enemy too your take on zachary larue and and uh, the impact he could have here for halifax if you can Keep his nose out of trouble. Yeah. I'd have to go back and look at whatever. I think he's had 10 suspensions uh, over, this is his fourth year. Um, but if we're talking about this year alone, one of his suspensions was for, uh, they call it a staged fight. So they, he and another guy fought off a face-off. And, and that's one of these automatic ones. It's one of the rules that uh, the Quebec League put in in the last couple of years to, to really get rid of fighting. So he was standing up for a teammate there. I'll, I'll give him a pass there. Um, in the past, he, he has taken some dumb suspensions, and there's no question. Uh, this one at Gatineau, it was the end of a shootout. Uh, he was coming off the ice in a fan, whatever, yelling at him. And he kind of poked his stick through the glass at him, a couple of jabs, and got 10 games for that. I mean, you just can't do that. That uh, is something that Zach knows. Um, of course, with players that play his game they are extremely competitive they're on the edge uh yes you will get on the other side but i also know like you know whenever i talk to him he's such a great kid extremely intelligent uh well-mannered uh confident personable you know all all the all the things you want to say about a nice kid he's a great scorer obviously plays a hard game and uh He'll play in that way in the NHL, whether that means he's on a second or third line, banging around, getting 25, 30 goals, and, uh, being that kind of old school player. Um, the bottom line is he's got, when, when he goes pro, he's, he's got to start putting that behind him because it's been tough for him. Like you said, he missed the first couple of months of the year coming off uh, sports hernia surgery and, uh, was really playing well. And then, uh, yeah, it just was a distraction. And it, he's just now really in the last week or so come back and is trying to shake off the rust. So yeah. he'll, he'll be fine by playoff time. Hopefully keeps his head because they can't afford to lose him. And uh, I know he's working on it. And, uh, yeah, I, I still like him like the same way you do and uh, think he's going to be a good pro. Now, I have to ask you, before I let you go, about Gilles Courteau, uh stepping down. Uh, the timing of it, obviously, there's been a lot of uh, – uh, news uh, with the uh, government getting involved uh, with uh, the CHL uh, over the last year or so. Uh, what what do you make of not just him stepping down, but the timing of it? You know, the short answer is I, I felt bad for him. 
um, you know, I've been covering the league now close to 25 years. When I first started covering it, uh, the Quebec League had a reputation for, for some kind of sketchy stuff happening behind the scenes. Uh, and Joe was still kind of a young president or commissioner at that time. Um, and it's not easy to, to kind of corral a, an ownership group of 18 guys who are all trying to win by any means necessary. But over time, uh, he consistently was a guy who put good conduct above everything else, uh, grew the league, uh, was a leader in, in getting fighting and headshots uh, out of the league uh, because these are teenagers and their brains are still growing, all those things. Uh, big behind-the-scenes work with things like uh, mental health initiatives, uh education completely overhauled that there's a long list of, of really positive things he did that have nothing to do with what you see on the ice. Right. Um, helped a lot of people get opportunities and had already announced in December that he was uh, retiring. So this obviously, if you're the top of an organization and their issues, I mean, this one was mainly the, uh, the hazing situation. You do have to answer for it, and I understand that. And, and of course, it happened on his watch. So there's a level of, of culpability for him uh, because everybody's under his leadership. But uh, knowing the way he operates and, and the, the way he feels about making sure that the league is a good environment, I guarantee that he was never all that tolerant of hazing uh, uh, that he knew about. So it's too bad, I think, in the end, you know, he's he's – in his late sixties now probably just lost the energy to, to fight another fight and just, just said, ah, you know what? I'm already retiring. I'm just going to, I'm calling it quit. So it's too bad that that's the last thing we're mm-hmm. talking about with him. And, uh, of course that doesn't mean that I'm not, uh, I'm not for getting rid of hazing and, and, and shining a light on that. Cause you know, but nobody's for that, but it's just too bad that, uh, he felt like, he just didn't have any more fight left in him to, to, to be on the right side of this and, and, and fight with those people, frankly. So it, it really is a little bit too bad. Uh, but I hope he has a good retirement. And in a couple of years, we're not talking about the way it ended, but, uh, you know, the rest of his legacy, right? Right. And that's where I was going to go is what is the legacy now for Gilles Courtois? I mean, they named the trophy after him. Moving forward, does this tarnish that legacy at all? Yeah. And I mean... I guess I could answer that in two ways. I mean, we don't know everything yet. Right. Uh, there could be things that come out that really do look bad on him. Uh, for all we know, maybe that had something to do with him leaving. It's just me saying that's a worst case situation, right. uh, that he knew more than he wanted to talk about. And yeah, the league trophy's named after him and that's not going to look great. Um, or, uh, they, they continue with their investigation and, uh, there's nothing all that new that we don't know already because, of course, there's already been some some pretty harsh things come to light. And then uh, it's one more chapter and the cycle keeps turning and uh, it's in and out of what we're talking about in a few years' time. And that's that. And I, I hope that's how it turns out uh, as one part of junior hockey that needed something like this to clean itself up. And uh, five or ten years from now, we're not talking about Gilles Courteau's name in that context and everybody can celebrate the trophy and his legacy the way it was meant to be when they made those changes. So, um, 
perhaps optimistically, I, I'm just hopeful that uh, a bunch of dirty laundry doesn't come out. Yeah. But if it does, that's that's I mean, we can't change facts and reality. So we'll know more, I guess, in the next few months. But uh, you know, hopefully, they don't have to take a big step back and uh, permanently talk about him as someone who was bad for the league. I, I'd hate for that to happen. Agreed. Well said. Uh, Willie, as always, man, really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the vacation. Great right on. Thanks, Guy. Nice talk to you. Longtime reporter covering the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. That's Willie Palov with a uh, terrific uh, update on what the playoff race looks like. Really, four teams who are the heavy favorites. And I guess you could put all four into a bag and draw one out and uh, be as good of a guess as any other uh, for who's going to win. At this point, I mean, we're not going to do predictions necessarily just yet, but if it's not one of those four, it'd be pretty shocking, wouldn't it? You could always hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. Let me know if one of those four teams, or if you're going to pick someone else, tell me what you think. Maybe there is a heavy favorite in your opinion, and it's not one of those, or it's one of those four, uh, but the, you know, maybe you like Gatna way more than anybody else. From the queue, we move westward, and we'll stop in the Ontario Hockey League next. Brock Otten from McKean's is my guest, also does a podcast with the Hockey News uh, covering the Ontario Hockey League. We got one team that has been basically sitting on top of the heap from start to finish. Are the Ottawa 67s almost automatically going to be OHL champs this year? We'll find out who can challenge them when we chat with Brock Otten next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Johnson stripped by Delandrio, backhander, he scores! Short-handed goal for the rookie, Ty Delandria. It's one nothing Flint. Hey, it's Ty Delandria from the Flint Firebirds, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Some people like to make all the rules and tell others what to do. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Dee Flaming. Oh my. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's uh, Alberta's best and available all throughout Western Canada. But if you're listening to this, you're probably an OHL fan as we're going across the country, getting an update on the playoff uh, races, the stretch drive to the postseason in uh, all three CHL leagues. We've done the queue. Now we're heading uh, westward to the Ontario Hockey League. And uh, Brock Otten from McKean's and the, the Hockey News OHL podcast. Uh, welcome back to the Pipeline Show, uh, Brock. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Pleasure uh, is all mine. Now, the uh, playoff, uh, the stretch drive here to the playoffs, 
I guess you got to start with Ottawa, don't you? I mean, they, they've been the top team pretty much wire to wire, and they've got a, a nice, comfortable cushion at, atop the Eastern Conference. They still are the team to beat, at least from the outside looking in. Yeah, I mean, Ottawa has been great all year, like you said, just a, a model of consistency, right? And then, you know, adding in some players at the deadline, Pavel Minchukov, Logan Morrison, you know, sort of supplementing those somewhat younger players who had elevated their game this year with those veterans. And it's just worked out really well. I mean, when you're making those kind of changes, it's sometimes dangerous because you don't want to mess with the chemistry that you've got. But uh, those guys have fit in really seamlessly, and and Ottawa is rolling um, heading into the playoffs for sure. Did the trade deadline change the power structure in either conference all that dramatically? Um, that's a good question. I, I would say in the West a little bit. I think Sarnia is now definitely one of the prime contenders in terms of the entire OHL. And I think prior to the deadline, I would not have said that. Um, they were somebody who really took a, a swing for the fences and, and took a chance on the talent they had by adding those pieces that they did with guys like Don Mastro and Pashajov. And mm-hmm. it's worked out really, really well for them. Um, so I would say that's, that's probably definitely the big one. Um, North Bay um, has slowly just been improving all year, and they made some kind of really sneaky additions with guys like Josh Bloom, too. And I honestly think that, I mean, you know, you, you talked about Ottawa being the front runner from the East, but just because of the way that they play and the experience that they have, I would almost say that it's kind of a toss up between Ottawa and North Bay for me right now. Um, they're kind of contrasting in, in their styles. North Bay is that classic sort of like team scoring approach, um, very defensively oriented. They don't give up a lot of goals. They don't give up a lot of good scoring chances. They've got one of the better goaltenders in the OHL, which obviously is big for the OHL playoffs. Um, I, I really wouldn't want to play North Bay. Um, Ottawa, you know, there's a chance that maybe those younger players who are getting some of their first taste of being a primetime player in the OHL playoffs, maybe maybe that's an opportunity for them to perform under expectations. Uh, maybe it's too much for them. Maybe it's not. Um, but with North Bay, I just feel like maybe a little bit more confident that their roster is structured to perform in the playoffs. I, I do think that both are going to have success. I just would probably take North Bay in the East right now. And I know that might mm. sound crazy, but um, I just really love the way that their team looks primed for the playoffs. I did not expect that, but that's why I want to get somebody who actually is right there and gets to watch the OHL firsthand. Uh, that's interesting. Now, the Barry Colts, only five points back of North Bay in the standings and have a game in hand, as we're speaking right now, at least that's the case. Uh, are they kind of an afterthought after those top two teams, or they might they be a team that, you know, one of those clubs nobody actually wants to play? No, absolutely. You can lump them in there, too. Um Anytime you've got a difference maker like Brant Clark, and, and that's exactly what he is, um, you're not going to want to play that team in, in the playoffs. And they've, they're a team that, as Clark returned, I feel like it really brought extra motivation to some of their veteran players. We've seen guys like Evan Beerling. We've seen guys like um, uh, Bo Aiki as a draft-eligible player. We've seen uh, Bo Jelsma as somebody who is trying to get drafted after passing through the draft last year. We've seen a lot of these guys really elevate their game um, in the second half as Clark has returned. It's kind of injected new life into that team that was, I won't say underwhelming, but we're kind of not playing up to the expectations that we had preseason before Clark arrived. 
Um, now they're definitely a team that I would not want to play um, in the OHL playoffs. And, you know, one of uh, North Bay or Ottawa um, is going to end up playing them in the second round if they move on. So uh, that will be a, a really good series that's being sort of set up to be. Before we get to the Western Conference, uh, which team in the East has the best goaltending? Because uh, that's so crucial uh, when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah, that, that's North Bay for sure. Um, Dominic DiVincenzis is, in my opinion, the front runner for OHL goaltender of the year. Um, he's been just as consistent as they come this year. The, and he's, he's been getting better as the season's gone on. He's won back-to-back OHL Goaltender of the Week um, awards. He's playing his best hockey, which is hard to believe, considering, as I said, he's been really good all season long. But he's going to the playoffs with just an extremely high amount of confidence. And um, I would say he's the best goaltender in the East. All right, let's jump over to the Western Conference. And when I look at the leading scorers in the league, most of them are coming from the West, even though we've we've talked about how, how uh, North Bay and Ottawa might be the teams to beat. The Windsor Spitfires, the London Knights, the usual suspects in some degree are, are right up there again. And you mentioned how strong Sarnia has been down the stretch. So a pretty tight race at the top of the West, too. Yeah, absolutely. Still completely wide open. Um, London and Windsor are really jockeying for that position at the top of the conference. And then... Sarnia is right there, right behind them. Uh, I feel like in the second half, Sarnia just hasn't lost. Um, those additions have, have done wonders for that roster. Ben Goudreau uh, is finally playing with some consistency after returning from the World Juniors. Um, it, it's been great to see. And I, I would say those three teams, no offense meant to uh, teams like Flint, like Saginaw, that uh, are still playing good hockey themselves as well. Um, but I would say those three are are the main horses in the West. Well, in Sarnia, or not Sarnia, Saginaw kind of pulled the shoot halfway through the year at the trade deadline, right? I, I was a little bit surprised with some of the uh, deadline deals that they made. Yeah, I, I think that they're a team that is bidding for the Memorial Cup next year. Okay. Um, I would say they're probably the front runner um, right now. That should be announced probably in the next week or two, uh, whether they get it. So I think their intention was, okay, we're still going to be a really strong team we're still going to have a chance to go far in the playoffs but let's move out some guys who are not going to be around next year let's move out Michikov let's move out Josh Bloom um because we've got some really good young players who can fill those gaps and that experience is going to help them next year when you know hopefully we're one of the better teams in the OHL so it's kind of like a classic CHL one step back two steps forward kind right of thing. yeah when you frame it like that that makes a ton of sense and it's actually pretty smart uh, for Saginaw to do. Now, I see Michael Misa hasn't played since early February. What's his status? Yeah, he's got a lower body injury. Um, he's been out for a bit. Um, I don't know if he's going to be back anytime soon. We'll have to see. Um, definitely disappointing because he was sort of on pace to to set some records in the OHL among um, the greats that have played as exceptional players like McDavid, like um, John Tavares. So um, kind of disappointing that his season has sort of ended the way that it did, but uh, still a really good year for him. Now, listed at 5'11", 160 pounds, he is exceptional status player, so he's under uh, age, uh, considering most players when they come into the OHL. Is that an argument against doing that, that maybe physically he might not have been ready? Would, I'm, I imagine there are some that say that. I'm not, but I don't get to see him all the time. Do you have a take on that? Yeah, I mean... Hockey's a physical sport, right? You're going to have your injuries. It's it's just one of those things. And, and Misa had been playing up uh, a level for quite some time, so he was used to playing with 
the same age players who, who did move on to the OHL with him this year. Um, so I, I don't think you can really look at it as, as a sound argument because, you know, uh, there are some 16 or 17 year olds who have gone into the OHL this year with, you know, six foot three, 200 pound frames and gotten injured too. Right. It's just one of those things that, um, with as fast and as physical the sport is, you're not going to avoid injuries. And I think Misa was somebody who, you know, watching him play in the first half of the year, he was 100% ready for, for this step. And um, it's just kind of one of those fluke things, uh, kind of a dirty play that, that took him out and um, really unfortunate. Brock Otten is my guest. He's the, uh, the guy who runs McKean's, and he's also part of the podcast that the Hockey News does uh, covering the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, now let's tap into that uh, the scouting side for a minute. And uh, I, we're, before we hit the record button, you were telling me about Nick Lardis is gaining some some ground with the scouting community. I look at his numbers; they don't necessarily jump out off the page at me. Nineteen points in thirty six games, but he's only played thirty six games. Uh, but why is uh, why is he a guy that's kind of caught your attention? Well, I think you're only looking at his numbers in Peterborough. If you look at his numbers, oh, in that's it. <laughs> they are they are a lot more impressive. Um, he's uh, up. I believe he has the fourth highest point per game average. If you look at just his um, Hamilton scoring um, of any CHL draft eligible player, I think the only guys ahead of him are Bedard, <laughs> Cristal, and Benson. Um, he's just been lights out since moving from Peterborough. Um, speed to burn. Uh, one of the best skaters available uh, available this year. Um, lightning quick. Um, gets a lot of breakaways because of it. Um, he is also a fantastic goal scorer. One of those guys that can score in a multitude of ways. He has a great one-timer, lightning quick release from the slot. Um, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but he finds his way to the net. Uh, a little bit like Nick Robertson in that regard. Uh, obviously, he's a better skater than Nick Robertson, but has that sort of elusiveness in the offensive zone um, in terms of his off-puck awareness that Robertson did. And um, he's somebody that, because he skates so well and because he can finish so well, He's moving up draft boards, and he, yeah, honestly, by the end of the year, he might be somebody that you're seeing on some first-round lists. And uh, I think with the point of, of, of us talking today, of uh, being you know, looking at the OHL playoffs, we've got a really interesting first-round matchup that looks like it's going to happen, and that's between the Hamilton Bulldogs and Peterborough Peets. Mm. So for those who don't know the OHL quite as well, Peterborough is a team that absolutely loaded up this year. They, they added Owen Beck. They added Brennan Othman. Um, they added Avery Hayes from Hamilton. Um, they stacked their roster, and it hasn't worked out incredibly well for them. They've been very inconsistent uh, since all of those trades. And one of the big trades that they made was moving Nick Lardis, who was one of their top young players, to Hamilton. And since that trade, obviously, Lardis has absolutely exploded. Right. Now we're looking at a possible first-round matchup between those two teams, a team that was supposed to be selling off and rebuilding versus a team that was supposed to be an OHL championship contender. And Hamilton actually recently passed Peterborough in the standings and holds home ice advantage if that series were to, were to happen, uh, which is, is absolutely crazy to me. So, that series is going to be really interesting because imagine if Peterborough loses in round one after dealing so many good assets, including some amazing young assets to Hamilton, who then uses those young assets to beat them in the first round. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, I mean that's why the CHL is great, right? 
side stories like that are terrific. I can't believe that I blew uh, Nick Lardis' stats this year. Yeah, 44 points in 28 games since the trade from Peterborough to Hamilton. Uh, that's unreal. I also noticed uh, his teammate is uh, Sahil Panwar, who has had similar kind of massive spike in production since uh, the trade from Hamilton to Peterborough, too. Yeah, the two of them have been playing together. Um and it's it's been a great partnership. Obviously, they were familiar with each other at Peterborough, but just that move to Hamilton and getting sort of top power play minutes, getting that first line um, assignment without sort of the pressure that was in Peterborough, right? You move to Hamilton, there's not a lot of expectations on you other than just to go and play and have fun and, and see what happens. And the results speak for themselves. And Panwar is uh, another kid that, that is a really good skater. Um, so that's why he's, had such great chemistry with Lardis because the two of them are just consistently pushing pace and, and it's really proving to be difficult for OHL teams to match up against them. Uh, I talked to uh, uh, Quentin Musty earlier this season. I know with the Sudbury Wolves, it sounded like their, their biggest opponent was injuries. Uh, I don't know how healthy they are coming down the stretch. Are they a team that maybe could be a, a, a surprise candidate to pull off an upset? Uh, I mean, never say never, right? Uh, They're obviously a very talented team. Um, They're younger, but they are very talented. They've got a great first line, obviously, with Goyette and Musty. But the reality is they're going to have to go through one of Ottawa or North Bay, more than likely. Um, And that's going to be quite the challenge for their young roster, Um, especially considering that their goaltending has been probably the weakest part of their roster this year. They've even exchanged... um, OA goaltenders to try to bring some stability to that position. It hasn't really worked out. So um, they're actually rolling with a younger guy named Krawchuk right now, and, and he's playing pretty well. But again, a, a younger player, uh, OHL rookie. So yeah, I think that would be too daunting for, for them to pull off. Uh, but again, never say never. All right, you always like to have uh, a list of OHL guys that you uh, kind of rank, and just from the OHL, uh, you do that on your own, but yeah, I'm sure you probably... Do you do something similar like that for McKean's too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Always um, sort of adjusting where I believe guys are, kind of like on a monthly thing, even though I only publish it you know, on my own blog yeah. um, you know, three times a year. It's always something that I'm thinking about and talking to other people about. Okay, who's the top guy for you right now out of the O? It's still Colby Barlow. It's kind of been that way for most of the year for me. Um, and, it, and it's still Barlow. And the reason being that I just see somebody who has a really high floor. I'd be shocked if he's not an HL player in some capacity, just with how well-rounded his game is, um, with the way that he can put the puck in the net, with how polished he is in terms of his off-puck play. Uh, I just see somebody that's very safe, but also somebody that has a high ceiling because, again, he can score. Um, he can bring physicality. He's a really good complementary offensive player. I think that his quickness is an asset, but there's still room for him to improve sort of that overall skating profile. And when that happens, I do think that he can be a real difference maker. And that's why he'd be sort of number one for me. I, uh, I think that when you look at some of the other OHL guys available, like Musty, uh, there's a little more inherent risk built in there, whereas Barlow, uh, I just don't see any. All right, last guy I want to ask you about is uh, Carson Raykop. It's, it's a <laughs> tricky name with a P and an F at the end. Carson Raykop. He plays for the Kitchener Rangers. Uh, 52 points right now in 62 games. Uh, it seems like a guy who's the buzz has maybe grown a little bit for him as the year has gone on. 
But again, I'm way out of the loop here uh, being out West. Yeah, I think the uh, really good showing that he had at the CHL Top Prospects game had a lot to do with that. He's um, kind of been up and down the lineup with Kitchener this year. They've got a pretty deep roster, even though they've kind of underperformed uh, to expectations this year. They do have a deep roster, and he's kind of moved around from the first unit all the way down to the third line. Um, his special teams play has been inconsistent as well in terms of his ice time. So it's kind of been hard for him to get into that sort of groove that draft-eligible players need. Um, and I think that's why consistency has been an issue for him. But at the end of the day, he's one of those guys that has all those sort of physical attributes that you're looking for. He's big. He skates really well. He's got a good shot. Um, has a lot of potential to be an impact player at both ends. But that part of his game is very inconsistent. The physical component is very inconsistent. Um, you know, what position he plays in the future. Is he a winger? Is he a center? That's also up in the air. So there's a lot of sort of mystique surrounding him. But he's the type of guy that NHL scouts really love because – there's that intriguing upside because of those physical tools, right? I feel like those types have been being drafted earlier and earlier every year because those are the types that develop really, really well. Um, I think a perfect example would be Zach Ostapchuk from, from the West, right? There was a guy that the Senators took a lot higher than people anticipated he would go in that early second round range. Um, and it's proving to be a pretty good draft pick with, with how he's developed um, as a player and as an NHL prospect. And, and that's why teams are focusing on those types of athletes now who are big, who can skate, um, and who have sort of a, a well-rounded skill set. Um, and he's, Rakoff is, is no different. Before we started uh, recording, you just got finished uh, recording with uh, Tony Ferraria doing your uh, OHL for the Hockey News uh, podcast. What do you guys have coming up there, and uh, what's new at McKean's? Yeah, it's funny. Actually, Tony, I mentioned to say hi to you because uh, I did mention that uh, I was hopping on with you right after we finished recording today. Uh, today, actually, we had a really good uh, interview with Matthew Maggio, the OHL leading scorer currently and New York Islanders prospect. It was uh, honestly my favorite interview that we've done this year. Um, and one of my favorite prospects that I've ever chatted with, he was just a very honest um, kid who really had a firm grasp on the types of things that he does well and, and needs to continue to improve on to, to be an NHL player. Um, he also uh, got into just, you know, how much he loves hockey and how much he follows the draft and the prospects of hockey as well. We, we had a good chat about Connor Bedard actually, and just how obsessed he is with, with how good Bedard is. Um, so it was, it was just a really cool uh, chat. So uh, that'll be coming out uh, next week. Excellent. Or, uh, sorry, this week, uh, just sometime. Awesome. That's sort of anything uh, special at McKean's that people should watch for? Yeah. Um, so uh, just recently we posted our annual look at the top re-entries available. This is something that I feel like is just so under-scouted by the public scouting agencies. Um, because at the, at the draft... 20%. Uh, it's been pretty consistent the last decade. It's about 20% of all picks are in their second or third year of eligibility. Yet, we just don't see a lot of those guys on public lists, but they're obviously on NHL lists, right? So, one of the things since I've taken over as a scouting director at McKean's is, is really trying to focus on those types of guys, too, and not just the first year eligible. So, uh, one of the things that we do is a three-part series. We look at the top guys from Canada, so playing in the CHL or you know various other leagues like the AJHL or BCHL. Um, another part on the U.S. 
So college, USHL, NAHL, et cetera. And the third part of all the prospects looking at Europe. And the series focuses on all those guys who are in their second, third year of eligibility that, you know, people should be paying attention to who are possible draft picks. And that just got released. All three just got released in the last week. I'm looking at it now. Love it. That's awesome. I agree completely. Those guys need uh, a little bit more attention for sure. Brock, as always, man, we went long, but it was because it's so good to have you on the show. Appreciate your time. Hey, anytime, man. The always very well-spoken Brock Otten from McKean's and from the Hockey News uh, OHL podcast. And I have egg all over my face. I can't believe I blew that with uh, Nick Lardis. I knew he got traded. I knew he was playing for another team. For uh, some reason, I just, when I'm looking at the, and it was at the Elite Prospects uh, webpage, uh, when I just pulled up the draft-eligible players from the OHL, and it singled out Nick Lardis as still just being with the one team, completely omitting what he's done since he's arrived in Hamilton. Uh, he has been on fire. Not the biggest guy in the world, listed at 5'10", 155-ish pounds, uh, but putting up huge numbers right now with the Bulldogs. Okay, we've got one more CHL league to get to, and then we're going to wrap things up with a 2023 draft spotlight. Uh, but first, we have to get to the WHL. Perry Bergson writes for the Brandon Sun, and the Brandon Weekings, one of those teams who are in the dogfight at the bottom of the WHL's Eastern Conference standings. There's like five teams vying for three spots. Let's get the latest with Perry next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Back to the blue line, Wilm in the middle, broken up by Zemer. Look out, Cohen Zemer, breakaway to hide to Zemer. Hat trick! Cohen Zemer, 3-1! This is Cohen Zemer with Prince George Cougars, and this is the Pipeline Show. Oscar from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundaes all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hey, everybody! An old man's talking. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show. We've gone through the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and the OHL when it comes to the uh, various playoff races. We're going to do the WHL next, uh, but a reminder: Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best, available all throughout Western Canada. When you go to their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com. All right, uh, exciting playoff races. In the Western Hockey League, really only in the East, in the West, it's uh, we already know the eight teams that are going to be in the playoffs, so a little less uh, dramatic uh, in the uh, the Western Conference, but the East could come right down to the wire. Heck, we might even have a playoff game uh, to get in, uh, a tiebreaker game, and that wouldn't be the first time for that either. Pleased to be joined by uh, Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun. Uh, Perry, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Uh, you and I, we just kind of, well, not together, but we f- just finished watching the uh, the Brandon Wheat Kings in action. Uh, an important game against the Regina Pats, a valiant third period comeback, falls short for Brandon. And that is a tough loss. Uh, that, that is a team that you're chasing in the standings. But uh, what would you make of uh, Brandon's performance on Wednesday night? You know, it's funny. They have played well against Regina at different times, but if Regina gets the goaltending, they beat them. 
and you know they they have made a lot of saves against Brandon in their victories. But this was such a huge, huge game for Brandon. You know they have PA in on the weekend, and then their last three games are in Saskatoon and a home and home with Winnipeg. Mm. And with Calgary's win tonight, that puts them two points back. You know, so they need to manufacture some points here, and that's a pretty tough schedule. And you look what Calgary has left with. Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, Medicine Hat, Lethbridge, Edmonton, Edmonton to finish this season. You know, oh boy. And uh, don't forget Swift Currents in there too. They lost tonight as well, but they've got Red Deer, Red Deer, Edmonton, Medicine Hat, Medicine Hat. Uh, so there'll be two points back at Calgary, just like Brandon after tonight's action is done. All right. So, we've, I mean, basically, I think with the uh, loss for Swift Current today, I think that mathematically uh, puts Lethbridge in. So, Basically, it comes down to Regina, Medicine Hat, Swift Current, Calgary, and Brandon. Five teams fighting for the last three spots. And Brandon, really, that's that's a big loss, especially when you consider the schedule that, that you outlined there. Home-at-home uh, uh, home against the the Winnipeg Ice to finish things off. Not ideal, and uh, I think you were telling me Winnipeg's really had Brandon's number. <laughs> well, actually, it's funny. With the three teams that are vying for that final spot, for the eighth spot in the Eastern Conference, Swift Current, Calgary, and Brandon. Winnipeg is a combined 15 and 1 against those three teams. Wow. 8 0 against Brandon this year. Brandon has had third period leads in four games this year and have three points to show for it. They lost all four of those games. Uh, they just, you know, it's funny sometimes. You know, you've been around hockey for a long time. Sometimes teams just match up poorly against other teams. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, Winnipeg is a super, super talented group. But for whatever reason, they've just gotten inside Brandon's heads and Brandon just finds ways to lose against them. Um, but, you know, Calgary has also lost four games against them. Swift Current beat them once. Uh, so, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good team. So whoever does get the eighth spot in the Eastern Conference, be careful what you wish for because you're going into Winnipeg. Well, and a big win for Calgary uh, against the Lethbridge Hurricanes. In fact, as we're speaking right now, there's a couple minutes left in that game. But it's a fait accompli. It's a 7-1 right now uh, for Calgary. All of these clubs have been sort of struggling here in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, I think most of them were coming off uh, one, two, even three-game losing streaks. Uh, I know Regina, with their victory, just snapped a four-game losing streak. So it almost seemed like if any team could kind of get on a bit of a roll, They'd, they'd be able to almost walk their way into the playoffs, but it just hasn't been uh, it, something that anybody's been able to grab. No, but, you know, at this point, I think Regina's kind of out of reach of the other teams. They're going to make the playoffs. Yeah. You know, they have 66 points now um, with a handful of games left. That that puts them six up on Swift and Brandon. They're, they're going to be in the playoffs. It's all just a matter of matchups now, I think, anyway. And it's, it is going to be interesting seeing those, some of those matchups. Um, like Medicine Hats in seventh right now, they have to play Red Deer. Again, careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they've won one game, or two games actually, out of six. Uh, Saskatoon and Regina. Uh, Regina's beaten Saskatoon once this year. Uh, but they've got a pretty good little player there, don't they? And mm-hmm. uh, Connor Bedard, who scores on a breakaway and from 188 feet from his net into the empty net, which was quite a goal. Um, but, you know, the other series in the East that I'm really, really curious about is that Moose Jaw-Lethbridge series. Like, 
you saw a bad Lethbridge tonight that got pounded and gave up seven goals. When Lethbridge, and I'm sure you've seen them this year a few times, when Lethbridge is good and playing to the system, they are a very, very good team. And Moose Jaw has been just so inconsistent. Um, like Brandon has pounded Moose Jaw twice this year, and then Moose Jaw's winning the other games. I just don't know what to make of them, and they've obviously struggled in the wake of the suspensions as well. They they really have. That'd be the Moose Jaw Warriors uh, with the four players who were suspended. Now, although the league has uh, announced made that announcement, what, about uh, five days? Well, I think it was last Friday uh, that uh, those players will be eligible to return for the postseason, provided they uh, go through the steps that they need to take. Since then, Moose Jaw's won three in a row. So I don't know if that's like a weight off the shoulders for a lot of guys, and they've, they've kind of found their the, the winds back in their sails or what, but it, it just seems like almost too much of a coincidence or to be a coincidence that with the suspensions, they really uh, struggled, and since they've got some good news, they've turned it back around. Well, again, we're dealing with teenagers, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, these are their friends. They're guys they're super close with, and there's so so much uncertainty in that whole situation. You know, I think probably some of us have some insight into what happened, um, but we don't know for sure because there's been so many stories out there. It's just kind of disappointing. And the the people I feel really, really badly for are, of course, uh, their coach and GM who both get five-game suspensions out of that. And you, you have to wonder, at some point, don't you just have to trust these teenagers? You know, didn't know right from wrong. Yeah, well, without knowing what actually happened, I, I actually can't, can't really comment on that. I mean, if the coach and GM are in some way guilty or for whatever happened, then I guess they deserve it. Uh, if, if they're just getting fined or penalized because they're the guys in charge, uh, yeah, it's tough. But again, uh, without knowing actually what happened, and, and maybe you do, but I don't. Yeah, I think that's the insight I have is that, you know, that the punishment is kind of because – things happen under their watch. Okay. So that would be disappointing. But uh, did you want to talk about the Western Conference? Well, I, I think we sh- we probably should. You, I don't know how much of a feel you have for the Western Conference. I mean, the American clubs didn't come to Alberta this year, so really only got to see them online and, and uh, things like that. But uh, the, the BC teams came through. I don't know. What's, what's your hot take on the Western Conference? Seattle's good. How's that for a hot take? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um you know, they're probably going to meet Kelowna in the first round. They've won all four games against them. Um, I do have trouble, just like you mentioned. I haven't seen the BC clubs since I was a boy, I don't think. <laughs> um, the last game here was Brandon beat Victoria on January 24th, 2000, or 2020, rather. Right. Um, so I haven't seen those teams in person. I'm watching them online, just like you. And it's harder to judge that way. Mm-hmm. Um but but then you go through the other series. Kamloops likely is going to play Vancouver. They went 6-1-0-1 against them. So, you know, they obviously, there's an expectation that they're going to win a round or two, I would think, as a Memorial Cup host. But things get tricky with uh, Portland is going to play either Everett or Tri-City. Tri-City's up on Everett a little bit in the standings right now. But Portland has been a hard team to judge. They are white hot and then they're they're really just kind of cool down yeah it was uh too bad when they lost chad lucius after six games or eight mm-hmm. games or whatever it was what do you have 15 points or whatever um but this is a rebuilding year for everett too if it's them that, that plays portland obviously with sending hofer and zellberger to cam loops um and 
their scouting staff have to be happy. They finally have some first round picks to, to work with because Everett kind of famously traded them every year while they were on top because it seemed like Everett led the Western Conference right. about five years in a row, didn't it? If you're Tri-City or Everett, considering you're either going to get Portland or Prince George, that, that's the way it's going to look in the first round. I don't know which who's going to play who, but there's a big difference in travel for Everett and Tri-City to go to Portland as opposed to Prince George. You might have to play, statistically speaking, a better team in Portland, but you have much easier travel. If you're Tri-City or Everett, which do you prefer? Oh, boy. Like, that is a, a good trip up there, isn't it? That, yeah. That's got to be, what, 12 or 14 hours from Portland, I would think? Plus the border. Yeah, that would take forever. And then you, you play a couple games, and then did they go to the two three two there? I'm not sure. I'd have to look to see what they did last year because I think it was Portland and Prince George last year. Yeah, you would sure hope so because, boy, that's a lot of time on the bus. And actually, you have to think if that's the case, you give Prince George a little bit of an edge just with the bus travel because having interviewed guys that played there before, that's just part of doing business for them. That's just another day at the office, um, you know, because what's their closest trip? Kamloops would be, what, eight hours? Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. I just pulled up last year's playoffs. It only went four games, so I don't know where game five would have been, but it started in Portland for, for two and then up to Prince George for games three and four. But I don't know if game five would have also been in Prince George. I don't know that. Right. So, anyway, Tri-City right now is a point up on Everett. Um, Tri-City has four games left with Spokane and one with Vancouver. And uh, Everett has a couple of Vancouver's, a couple of Vicks, and a Spokane. Hmm. So who knows? Prince George, uh, Everett won that season series, but who knows how many of those games were before the trades. Right. It's so hard to call these, especially with when Prince George is involved, like you say, with the travel. Well, and the Cougars uh, on the ice seeming to uh, catch a, a little bit of fire here as well, unbeaten in their last uh, six games, uh, at least in regulation time, 4-0-2 record. Uh, and that that's a quality team that I think underachieved for much of the season, but in the second half of the year seemed to find their way a bit. Well, absolutely. Great goaltending. Up front, you got Wheatcroft and Zimmer and Height. Like that's that's a really good offensive group there. That's as talented as they've been up front in a while. And I think they're actually seven one and two in their last ten. So that's terrific. Uh you know, if it's Tri City that goes in there, that's a that's a tough team. Like that that's a hard team to play against. Uh, they're a little quieter offensively, maybe, you know, obviously Drake, Dragusevic and Ernst, but they're very well coached. They play their system well. And if you do have aspirations of going a ways in the playoffs, boy, running into a really heavy team like that in the first round, yeah, that does not help because how many guys are banged up going into the next round? Oh, that's a great point. Perry, well, one thing in the Eastern Conference uh, that uh, we didn't mention was that Red Deer right now in the standings is ranked two in because they're the top team in the Central Division. But if everything goes according to the standings, Red Deer and Saskatoon would actually flip. And it would be, you know, if those two teams met in the second round, uh, they would actually be playing, uh, Saskatoon would have home ice advantage in that regard, which is a real interesting spin on things. It absolutely is. And you know what? Let's give Colin Priestner his due here because this is a Saskatoon team that a lot of us weren't sure what they were going to look like this yep. year. You know, when you start to graduate some of the kids that they have put through that program in the last few years, and they are a hoot to watch. You know, I'm thinking of uh, uh, Wong and Lozowski and Roulette and Sidorov and even Jake Chason, 
they acquired at the deadline from Brandon. Mm-hmm. They're a lot of fun. And uh, De La Gorgendier, yeah. I would have been a grade nine before I learned how to spell that. <laughs> um, he is as good a defenseman as there is in the league. You know, I feel bad for people that haven't had a chance to watch him a lot, you know, because uh, that's a traditional rival of Brandon's. I'd, I've got to see him since he was 16, and he's just outstanding. Perry, before we started, we were chit-chatting a little bit about uh, just the impact that loading up uh, to go on a long playoff run, what that might have in terms of a, a single franchise uh, in, a, in their long-term feasibility and, you know, how long it takes for them to be a contender and to go through that junior hockey cycle. This year, clearly, the Winnipeg Ice, the Red Deer Rebels, Saskatoon Blades uh, are the top three teams in the East, and in the West, you've got Seattle, Kamloops, and Portland. Some of those teams really went for it. Understandably, with Kamloops hosting the Memorial Cup, you don't get to do that very often. But can every franchise do this? You, you, you were making a great point to me that not every franchise could do this in the WHL, and it, that might not be fair. No, here's what concerns me about it, and I know this annoys fans when I say this because fans love trades. You know, they love when teams really kind of bulk up like Winnipeg and Seattle have done. Here's my concern, though. If you look at the picks that Seattle has, they are not, well, obviously they're hoping they can recoup some of those next year. That's the working orthodoxy around the league now, and especially because you can't trade the 16-year-old, you know, for the 16-year-old like you used to. So you have to build through the draft now. But what that means is, let's say Seattle or Winnipeg trade some of those um, top-end guys next year for first-rounders in 24, 25, 26. Well, you pretty much have to add four years because they're not going to play in the league the next year. Then they're 16- and 17-year-olds, so they're probably not going to completely carry the load. So to me, you're creating a five- or six-year burden on a team when – making the playoffs is not going to be easy. And I'm just not sure that every market can financially withstand that. Now, we saw it with Swift Current in 2018 with Manny Vivros kind of spent everything he could to win the league title that year. And Swift hasn't made the playoffs since. And from the people I've talked to in Swift, there's kind of some growing unhappiness with the way that things have gone there. But Dean Brockman and now uh, Chad Leslie have done an outstanding job, in my mind, uh, rebuilding that team. I think maybe they've underachieved a little bit in Swift this year. But uh, really, can every market withstand having a bad team for five or six years? And my argument is no. It's almost like sometimes the general managers have to be saved from themselves. And I think what we've seen is kind of a changeover at the top, when you, uh, a Tim Speltz leaves from Spokane, obviously I'm in Brandon, Kelly McCrimmon was there for a lot of years. Those guys never threw their hat in all in like teams are doing now. That's because I think there was an expectation that you wanted to be bringing a decent team into other markets because really even you're not selling tickets in your own market when you win eight games all year and you're not selling a lot of tickets anywhere else. Hmm. That's an interesting point. That's an interesting perspective. One counter-argument, I suppose, and that's not to say that I disagree with your whole the, uh, philosophy or thesis here, but you look in some of the small markets, those community-owned teams, Prince Albert, recent WHL champion, Swift Current, as you mentioned, recent WHL champion, 
uh, those teams did make a lot of money in those years, did they not? Yeah, but how long can you coast on that? That That's my concern. If your attendance gets way, way down in year four of your rebuild or something, then you're in trouble. Now, again, PA, I think, has done a master class in rebuilding after their uh, their championship there a few years ago. They are, well, they have half the picks in the first round, it seems like, this year. What do they have, three or four? Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're going to be a very, very, very good team, but that might be three or four years down the road again. So you just have to hope that your fan base is willing to ride out the tough times because, you know, ticket prices are going up in that now, and not everybody is going to go to pay to watch the home team lose. That's fair. Uh, Perry, I really appreciate your time. As always, lots to think about. Maybe we can have a, a deeper discussion on this in the off season. How about we do that? That would be fantastic. Hey, thanks for having me on again. That's Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun with a uh, terrific recap of what the next uh, 10 days or so is going to look like in the WHL, especially in the Eastern Conference where you've got some actual races to get into the playoffs. Now, once you get in, it's kind of like what Perry said. You get what you ask for. You know, you're good enough to get into the postseason. It's going to get you an extra couple of home gates, little extra ticket revenue there for your uh, coffers, uh, but you're going to have to go up against the Winnipeg Ice or the Red Deer Rebels or the Saskatoon Blades, and it could be a short playoff series. Those teams are, they're just better. They're better than the teams in 6th, 7th, and 8th. Although the Connor Bedard factor is going to be one, that, that, I mean, that's just such a story. This is a, this is a player who... He's obviously a guy who gets up for the big moments. And to take a team into the playoffs where they're going to be underdogs, but if it's against Saskatoon, a a provincial rival like that, a big provincial rival, it's easy to say Saskatoon's going to win that series because their record is much better. But sometimes when you get rivalries together, you can throw out records and standings. You can throw those right out the window. I'm interested to see how the regular season ends up for the Edmonton Oil Kings, which sounds weird because they're in last place, but they what they do will impact some of these other teams. They play Medicine Hat. They play Swift Current. They play Calgary twice. And it seems like lately Edmonton is either getting destroyed or they're taking, uh, they're taking it to some pretty good teams. They beat Regina in Regina, and they went to overtime against Winnipeg in Winnipeg, and then they lost 10-1 to the Brandon Wheat Kings. So it kind of depends which Oil King team you get. Uh, but if you're Calgary and you're thinking, all right, we've got our last two games against the last place team in the league, it's an arch rival. It's a big provincial rivalry. You might want to take those uh, records, those standings, and just uh, toss those in the trash uh, because you're going to be playing a team who badly wants to hurt you. We've got one more segment to get to. It's a 2023 draft spotlight segment. Last week on the show, we had four goaltenders, all of them draft eligible, and I said at the time that there was another guy I wanted to get on the show but just wasn't able to squeeze it in. I got him. And we're going to end it this week by getting to know Adam Guyen, who plays in the NAHL with the Chippewa Steel, but you know him better for his magnificent performance at the 2023 World Junior Championship in Halifax when he was manning the twine for Team Slovakia. Let's get to know Adam Guyen next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hi, this is Scott Stanley, coach of the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs, and this is the Pipeline Show. 
passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious man. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And here he is, having the time of his life. We are back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey. That is Alberta's best beef turkey. And you can get it anywhere in Western Canada uh, by go- going to their website at wilhockbeefturkey.com. This is the final segment for this week's episode, and for this one, we're going to turn on the 2023 Draft Spotlight and get to know another player who is eligible for the upcoming NHL Draft. And for this segment, last week we had four goaltenders on, and I mentioned there was one other goaltender I wanted to get on, but I couldn't uh, do it in time for last week. Well, I'm pleased to say that I was able to track down Adam Guyon for this week's show. Uh, Adam uh, plays for the Chippewa Steel, by the way, out of the North American Hockey League. Uh, Adam, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Thank you. I'm I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, uh, but uh, I'm not eligible for the NHL draft, so your life is a little <laughs> bit more exciting than mine right now. Uh, tell me about the <laughs> yeah. tell me about the season for you in in Chippewa, and I know you played a little bit with Green Bay in the USHL as well, but. Uh, you're with the Chippewa Steel right now and getting ready for the uh, the playoffs. Yeah, so I think like uh, we didn't we didn't start well this season, but uh, now we are getting closer to playoffs. So we are still like I think fifth and just four teams are going to playoffs in our division. But I hope we will make it, and uh, I think we have great team for playoffs. So hopefully we will make it, and uh, I think we can win it. So we'll see how it will go. Well, the team has played 49 games. Uh, are there 60 games in a full season? Yeah, yeah. So 11 more games. Yeah. So like five weeks. That's right. And you're, you're behind, uh, the Kenai River Brown Bears by three points and Fairbanks, uh, by four points. So there's lots of time and lots of points available that you can still catch up to them and be one of those playoff teams. What, what does your team, what do the Steel have to do to make sure that you're playing well and getting those wins? I think just like, play hard and play more simple sometimes we are, we are, we are like trying to make uh some you know nice looking plays and not choosing packs so hmm. i think last 10 games i played we won like eight so now we are like winning almost every game so i think just have to like keep hitting the packs and go to the net screening the other goalie and just make his life harder and not trying to make some like good play cute plays or something like that so just play simple and just shoot the pack yeah, as we're as we're speaking right now, you you've won your last four games uh, in Chippewa, so the team you're getting hot at the right time of the year. That's the uh, you yeah. want you want to make sure you're on a roll going into the playoffs. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, the season for you on uh, on a personal basis, Adam, are you happy with the way that you have played this year? Yeah, I mean, of course, it it always it always can be like better. So I will try to be even better than I was. But I think uh, I can be happy and. Uh, I will take it before the season, so I think everything is going as it should be. Well, you've appeared in 27 games and have won 16 of those, but your goals against average is 255 and your save percentage 921. Those are very nice numbers. Uh, uh, do you care about the stats, or, or is there one uh, statistical category that is more important to you? I mean, like, 
I don't care about the numbers at all. Like I think, for example, now every NHL team is looking how I'm playing and not how my numbers look like. But uh, mm-hmm. I think the most important number for goalie is like the save percentage. It shows the most. But uh, like now, I don't think it's important at all. Like now, the only thing that matters is just trying to win every game and get two points for a team. So, so now I think there is no any goalie who is looking for numbers too much. Will you uh, stay with uh, Chippewa for the rest of the year? I know you've played six games with Green Bay out of the USHL. Uh, I don't know how how that happens, where you move up and down between the leagues. Uh, but do you expect to to finish the year in Chippewa? Yeah, so that was the deal. Like uh, I came here to USA, and like a year ago, I didn't have any other option than Chippewa, and that's why I came back from from Green Bay because uh, my coach Casey trusted me, and nobody did. And uh, and after a few games I played here, I he told me that every almost almost every USHL team talked to him about me and that they wanted me. So uh, I didn't want to leave, but uh, we made great deal with Green Bay. So I went there for ten games. I played six. So uh, now we just like uh, make a deal with them that I will be there for ten games, and not any other team can draft me to the USHL for next year. So I will play in Green Bay next season. Okay. So that's why I was there for those six games, and then. Uh, I came back here, and yeah, I'll be here for the for the rest of the year. So hopefully, the the playoffs as well. Okay, interesting. I didn't know about uh, what your plans were for next year. I thought maybe you might be off to Minnesota Duluth next season, but you're gonna yeah. you're, you're going to spend all next year in Green Bay. Yeah, so so that's the plan. I know on my early prospect, I have that guy, that I'm going to Minnesota Duluth next year, but I should stay in Green Bay for one more year and then then go to Minnesota Duluth. Okay. Uh, is there a big difference between the, the North American Hockey League and the USHL, in your opinion? I know you only played six games, but could you tell a difference? Yeah, I think, of course, there is difference. Like, NHL is great league as well, but I think in USHL, like, everything is faster. The players are a lot more skilled, and it just... You can just tell that it's, like, better hockey and more structure and everything. So, like I said, I think not is great league, but USHL is for sure better league. All right, Adam Guyan is my guest. He's a goaltender with the Chippewa Steel in the North American Hockey League. Uh, I wonder how you got to uh, Chippewa. What when you're playing back home in Slovakia? What is the connection to Chippewa? How did you first get involved in coming to North America? Yeah, so I decided I think like two or three years ago that I want to try to play college hockey. So last year I knew that uh, after last season I just have to leave two USA, two USA. So. Like I said earlier, my only option was Chippewa. So I just sent some videos to director Goten in Slovakia, and he sent them to Frank Orr. Frank Orr, he's like one guy from Slovakia, but he's living in USA for like 50 years, and he was an NHL scout, so he knows some some coaches here, and he sent those videos to, to Chippewa, and a uh, and coach from Chippewa liked me, so that's how I how I got here. Interesting. What did you know about the North American Hockey League before you got there? Anything? Mm, not much. I just knew that like they're like two great like the junior leagues like USHL and North American Hockey League from where most of the players are going to play college hockey. So that was my goal a year ago to just play no. I know that probably there won't be many options to go right to USHL from like the Slovak Junior League. So like I said, coach here in Chippewa like me and uh, that's how I got here. 
I'm interested to know why you uh, wanted to play college hockey. When you're from Slovakia, I don't know that there's a huge connection to the NCAA from over there. I know a lot of players would come and play in uh, the Canadian Hockey League, uh, Major Junior. Uh, but you, you yeah. knew early on you what that you wanted to go to college. Why is that? Yeah, so like like you said, there in Slovakia, it's college hockey. Like it's not a big deal. Like when I talked to Blue for the first time, I just saw like the the bulldog logo on the shirt of the coach and I had no idea what it is. So, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know much about college hockey, but uh, I talked to, like, director of in Slovakia and some other coaches and uh, everybody knows that, like, goalies need, like, longer time to prepare for, like, the professional hockey. So, so that was my goal and uh, I was thinking about it and uh, then I decided that it would be probably the best for me to to play college hockey that I have like more years to prepare for professional hockey. So that's, that's why I decided to go to play college hockey. And why Minnesota Duluth? Uh, I know uh, Scott Sandel and the head coach there has been on this show a number of times. They've been one of the best NCAA programs over the last 10 years have won national championships. So it's not, I'm not saying why would you pick them? Obviously they're a good team and a good program, but academically it's got to be a fit for you as well. So what is it about, going to that school and that program that makes it right for you. Yeah, so like I said after after a few games I played uh it was at the no showcase. We played there four games I played two and uh I talked to almost like twenty schools. Wow. And like I said I didn't have I didn't know much about it. Right. But uh from the first day everybody just told me that uh if they can choose any school for hockey they would go to Minnesota Duluth. Like you can just see, like the goalies they had, and uh, they won like two national championships in two years, and and they are playing like so defensively, and everything just was nice there. And I went there for a visit, and uh, like I said, I didn't know much about it, but everyone to who, who I talked told me told me that the the duo will be probably the best fit for me. And uh, I've been to five visits. I like I like every of my visits, everyone was different and uh, like the locker rooms, rings and everything was so nice but like I said, I just feel like that Dulov is the best fit for me and uh, and I really can't wait to be there. Do you know any uh, other Slovak players who have played in the NCAA? I'm thinking of, like Matty Tomac, I don't know if you know Matty at all but he played in the NCAA and he's he's from Slovakia. Did, did you have a chance to talk to him or anybody else about what it was like? Yeah, I know him, but I didn't talk to him. I talked to David Renak because I talked to Senkalste as well. So, so now uh, David Renak is LA prospect, right? So he played in in Senka for four or five years. So I talked to him, and then uh, I talked a little bit to Simon Latkoci. He's playing in Omaha right now. Yeah. So yeah, I know some goalies there. They're like maybe three or four slot goalies. So. So I talked to David Renag and Shimon Latkots a little bit about it. Excellent. Adam Guyan is my guest. He plays for the Chippewa Steel out of the North American Hockey League uh, and a little bit with the Green Bay Gamblers uh, this season and will be with the Gamblers uh, next season. Uh, Adam, for uh, for my regular audience, they already know about you, but there will be a lot of casual NHL fans who are going to listen to this interview right now just because you're an NHL uh, draft prospect. They might not know anything about you, uh, so let's let's get a bit of background. Uh, we know that you're from Slovakia. Do you, how old were you when you first started playing as a goaltender? Do you remember that? I'm not sure. I think I was around like 
six years old. I just know that like since I was two, I wanted to be hockey goalie. I don't know why. So, mm. so since I was little kid, I just wanted to be hockey goalie. And uh, when I was younger, first I just started skating, and then I think I was like six or seven when I started to play goalie. A lot of goalies will tell me it might have been the equipment, wearing the pads and wearing the mask and the glove and the blocker. What, do you think that had anything to do with it for you? I don't know. <laughs> like I don't remember it. Like I said, I was just two years old, but my parents just told me that since I was two, I wanted to be hockey goalie. So I don't know. But I think it was like one part of it for sure. So I still just like designing gears and, and everything. So, hmm. yeah. Now, were you were you a good goaltender right from the start, or did it take you a little while to really learn the game and 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 get better? I remember that first time I skated as skated as a goalie was uh, with one goalie coach in Slovakia, and right after practice, he talked to my mom and uh, he asked her like uh, where I was practicing because he said like I know like more than some goalies who are playing two years, so so I don't know how, but wow. yeah, I think I like I'm not saying I was. Like some, like was excellent, but I was probably better than some other goalies who are just starting. So, well, maybe just some natural talent there. Uh, now, the the sheet that I'm looking at lists you at six foot four. That's 193 centimeters. Is that uh, still accurate? I'm like six foot three and a half, so like 191 centimeters. Okay. So I think on, like I said, on elite prospect, like like even the globe I have that there there I'm going that next year and not two years after, but like. It's the same with height. I think I'm just like six three and a half. I would say one ninety one ninety one centimeters. Well, that's a good height for a goaltender. And for for a lot of people who uh, haven't had a chance to watch you play, how do you describe yourself as a goalie? Because these days every goaltender is a butterfly goaltender. But there's there's got to be something about your game that's a little bit different than everybody else. What do you think that would be for you? Yeah, I think I'm like explosive goalie with good mobility, so I can make like those tough saves and uh then I really like to play a pack so I think my my stick handling is getting better like all the time and I just can help my team to like uh get faster out of the zone so I think those those things well I think everybody got a chance to watch you at the world junior championship in in Halifax and I know it, it sounded like it was almost a bit of a, a late decision to add you to that team and that you weren't necessarily expected to play any games and then when you did, yeah. I mean, you were one of the stars of the tournament. You were, it was a, a performance that everybody took notice of, for sure. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, it was great for me. Like you said, I I didn't expect that I would be there. I wasn't even in, in a roster before tournament. They just called me after two games I played in USHL, and all team was already in Canada, and they already <laughs> played like their first pre-tournament game. So I just came like... I think day before, like, pre-tournament game against Canada, I didn't even have gear for, like, another, like, day and a half. So, yeah, I just came, like, a few days before, actually, the start of the tournament. And uh, then the first game against Finland, I didn't even dress for the game. And uh, and then the game against Finland, we lost. And uh, coaches wanted to change something. And they just told me in the morning before the game against USA that I'm going to net. And... Uh, the rest is history, so that's that's how it was. When they come to you and say, "Okay, you're going to play tonight," and you weren't, I mean, you did, as he said, you weren't on the roster at all before the tournament. It it must have come as a as a big surprise. That must have been a shock. Does that help because you weren't expecting it, and it's the day of the game? It you don't have a a whole lot of time to get nervous, do you? Yeah, I mean, 
I like when they told me in the morning, like, like I said, we just played like, uh, I think it was around noon. So we played early game against Finland, but I think that, I don't know, coaches didn't know what to do. So they didn't told us day before the game who is playing. So they just told me in the morning. And uh, <laughs> when they told me, I was expecting that I would be like a little bit nervous before the game. But to be honest, I wasn't at all. So I don't know why, but I was just like, I wasn't sure sure if I will be playing, but I knew that if I will be playing, I will be ready for it. So, so yeah, I think everything everything was as it as it should have been. So, well, spectacular tournament for you, and uh, I mean, it was certainly a a performance that got a lot of attention. Before that, I mean, I don't know how much you had uh, a chance to speak with uh, NHL scouts. I, I imagine they've the NHL teams have called you a lot since then. Yeah, I mean, I talked to some teams even before I went to World Juniors. Like I said, everything started so fast, like since no showcase, just so many schools started talking to me and few NHL teams. But then, of course, after all juniors, it was a lot more. So, yeah. So now, are you, do, you, do you find that you, you spend a lot of time thinking about the draft? I mean, I mean, you're going to be 19. You have already gone through the draft unselected once. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are about the draft now. Yeah, I mean... A year ago, I didn't even think about it at all. Like nobody even knew about me. Like I said, so so everything started this year, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not thinking about it too much. Like I know I can't really change what will happen, so I'm just focusing to play as good as I can and just show NHL teams that I'm better than other goalies. And uh, I just hope I will be still playing better, and uh, hopefully we'll make playoffs and make a run. So. That's all I'm thinking about now, and I'm not thinking too much about the draft. So, like I said, I, I, I can't really change it. So, Adam, did, did you have a favorite NHL team growing up, or did you have a whole lot of time to watch the NHL uh, when you were back home? Yeah, I, I, I was always watching NHL. Like, especially last year, my favorite team is Tampa Bay because of Andre Vasilevsky. He's my favorite goalie. So, last three years, and they made Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup final. Like I always said, my army night, and I was watching like all the final games. So, so yeah, Tampa Bay is, is my favorite team last year because of Vasilevsky. So I was always watching them. What do you like to do away from hockey when you're not playing hockey? Maybe it's in the summertime. How do you spend your time? I don't have many hobbies in like outside of hockey, but I like to play ping pong or soccer. Or just spend time with my friends or family, so so just this. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, ping pong. I mean, that's good for eye hand coordination, right? Is, do you think that actually makes yeah. you? A, it's a little bit of a help for being a goaltender. Yeah, I mean, of course. Like we just had like ping pong table at home, so I was playing since I was younger, and uh, like I think since I came to USA, nobody beat me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Adam, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck, whatever happens uh, the rest of the season here. Hopefully uh, the Chippewa Steel get into the, the playoffs in the Null, and uh, we'll see where that goes. And whatever happens to the draft, uh, I hope we can chat again, maybe once you're at Duluth. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Adam Guyan from the Chippewa Steel out of the North American Hockey League, and he did play six games for Green Bay. That was uh, right around, right before, right after uh, the World Junior Championship. During the tournament, everybody, all the broadcasters kept saying that he's coming from the Green Bay Gamblers. Well, really, I mean, outside of six games, he's been in the North American Hockey League all season. Now, he will be, I didn't know that, but he'll be in the USHL next year uh, with the Green Bay Gamblers. I thought 
as he mentioned, <laughs> it was nice that he referenced his elite prospects page because that's what I was looking at as well. I uh, said he was going to Minnesota Duluth in uh, this coming fall, uh, but that will not be the case, according to Guyan. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Really appreciate the three guests that you heard from at the start that walked us through the CHL uh, playoff scenarios. Willie Palov, Brock Otten, and uh, Perry Bergson. And, uh, of course, thank you to Adam Guyan for giving us some time here. Next week on the program, well, we'll know the 16 teams that have qualified for the NCAA National Tournament. So, uh, obviously, we'll be looking a lot at that. Uh, so, maybe one, maybe two media guests uh, covering the NCAA uh, but still keeping an eye on what's happening in the CHL. Leagues like the AJHL, the BCHL. Well, the BCHL isn't to the playoffs yet, but the AJHL is. So we might be able to take a look and see what's happening there. Lots of hockey. It's an exciting time of year. Get out and watch some of it. Junior college hockey if you can. And that way we can talk about it next week when you come back right here on the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Until then, have a great weekend, everybody. My name's Keith Flaming. See ya.